the creativity fills so many needs and and you know the, 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 that's i think why so many creative people are content to really live relatively modest lives because you know it fills you up right that singer songwriter and keynote speaker lowry olifson this week's guest on episode 97 of the unplugged podcast Hello and welcome to another inspiring week of the Unplugged podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And this is the audio space where you will hear powerful conversations with the courageous truth seekers and free thinkers of today's rapidly changing world. And my name is Deb Ozarko, warrior of truth cultural revolutionary, and passionate lover of life here to welcome you to your bi-weekly dose of authentic expression, truth, critical thought, provoking words, and open-hearted inspiration from my paradigm-busting headquarters in beautiful coastal British Columbia, Canada. And if you're familiar with this show, you may have noticed something a little bit different in this week's introduction. And that is that I have replaced the status quo crusher title with cultural revolutionary. And to be quite honest, I've actually been feeling lately like I've outgrown the status quo crusher moniker. And instead, I've expanded into something else that feels mm, more authentic. And that's the way life goes. We never have to be stuck with just one title or one role in life. Because as we expand, we need to expand into more of who we are. And right now, I feel like I am a cultural revolutionary. And who knows what I'm going to expand into next, but right now, cultural revolutionary just, it grabs me, grabs my heart. It's, uh, it feels like it's honoring my soul because I've come to realize that my role in life, at least for now, until I expand into more, is as an activator and an inspirational force for critical thought and compassion. So the true direction of my work is about it's about a, uh, a cultural revolution that suffocates status quo and instead returns us to our core essential nature in an activated way. And that, to me, is a cultural revolutionary. It's someone who expresses activism from the inside out. So instead of solving the problems out there, we become more whole in ourselves and that alone inspires significant change. And then when we transform uh, our thoughts into action, into activism, then it creates an even bigger impact. And so to, to accompany the new moniker, the cultural revolutionary moniker, I'm going to be offering even more expansive conversations that will that are going to shine a light on the darkest corners and the most neglected areas of our lives and our world so that we can step up and step into the transformational role that the earth is requiring of each of us individually and as a collective. So welcome, welcome to the Unplug Cultural Revolution. And to kick off the revolution this week, 
I shine a light on the dark corner of our inner nag, the inner critic, and also on the neglected area of creativity. And I'm going to be doing this with an enlightening, inspiring, spontaneous, musical, and really fun conversation with Lowry Olofsson, who is a really, really talented local musician and a very inspiring keynote speaker who lives here on the Sunshine Coast. And his keynote is titled, If Not You, Then Who?, which is all about tuning into our passions to re-inspire the way we work and the way we live. And this week we talk about the internal judgment that often flares up when we finally accomplish our dreams, how to navigate the voice of the inner critic, how movement and action are often tremendous sparks for creative flow, how to finish what we start. We also explore what is courage, the power of gratitude, redefining success, and how we can make a living as we make a life. And I can honestly say that this is probably one of the most fun and interesting conversations I've had on this podcast, which is saying a lot with the quality and the caliber of conversations that I've offered you over the past two and a half years. So enjoy this week's conversation with Lowry Olofsson, all about navigating the inner critic and honoring your creative muse. Welcome, Lowry, to the show. Uh, my partner recently heard your keynote presentation titled, If Not You, Then Who? And I just love the title. And she, she knew immediately that after she saw your presentation that you and I needed to connect. So here we are finally chatting together. And um, I've watched some of the videos on your website. And I like the really the, the bold question that you ask at the very beginning. So I thought I'm going to just start things off by asking that to you. And so the question I'm going to ask you is, who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Listeners will be that? able to go to your video and they'll yes. be able to see the, the, the context of this. But I'll ask it properly. Who do you think you are? Well, I know there's a lot of ways to ask that. Who do you think you are? Who do you what? think you are? Yeah, I know. It's kind of like usually an insult, of course, right? Yeah, well, that's isn't that just the question? Because, uh, well, I, that's really kind of what my whole keynote is about is kind of who I thought I was when I was a kid and who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be, which was a musician and a songwriter and, and all that, and then being discouraged from taking that as a sort of a, a path of uh, employment. And then um, really having, because you know a lot of people aren't clear, I don't think a lot of people are really that clear about what they want to do necessarily with their lives, but for me as a kid, that's really, that was what my passion was and that was what I wanted to do. So it's been, my life was really just a path to back to that, you know, first to being a musician, which was great in itself, but uh, also what I learned was that it wasn't just about being a musician because you know, I did some some things that were very unsatisfying, even though I was playing music, I was uh, playing in the bars and, you know, just which is just about getting people to drink more beer, you know, which was very unsatisfying. And um, so even though, it, you know, that was, you know, it paid well, 
if relatively speaking, as far as musical work, that was there was pretty good money in that kind of thing and lots of work. It was you know, awful. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it's an interesting question because I think that for a lot of us, the more we narrow it down or the more that we explore that question of finding out who we are and honoring that and, you know, little ways that there's just this kind of fine tuning piece that comes into it all the time. And you kind of, there's, I suppose you could look on the positive side is that it can be even more satisfying. And if you do this, it's even more satisfying and that kind of, and, and so we're always fine tuning. And I think we, who we are at its essence is maybe stays the same and also that it, totally changes. And I think that that's, it's such a, uh, it's such a loaded question in this culture. Usually if, if anybody has the nerve to even ask, who do you think you are or who are you or, or, you know, any question that has a similar essence, most of us default to our professional lives. So mm -hmm. I'm a teacher, I'm an author, I'm yeah. a this, I'm a that. We never really go deeper because our culture doesn't really encourage that it doesn't nurture that part of us it doesn't it doesn't encourage us to go deeper but i'm curious i want to um, explore your story a little bit more and back it up and speak about the inspiration and how what feeds us when we're younger like for you it was music for me it was writing and how that is silenced as we get older and from personal experience i can honestly say that my life has never felt more aligned, more full, and more rich now that I'm an author. And I mean, I'm not speaking monetarily yet, although I'm open to that, but rich in an internally connected sense. And it's just like my life just feels aligned and right now. But like you, it took me a while to claim that part of me. Actually, I'm not even going to say a part of me. It, it took that, it took a while for me to claim myself because of the parental and cultural roadblocks. So I'm really curious to know more in an in-depth way about your journey to music and how you claiming yourself, the musician within, how it ultimately has changed and enhanced your life. So we're going on, we're doing like big Lowry storytelling right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a big question. Hmm. Yeah, well, the... The, as, as a kid, I started, I mean, music was always in our house. My mom was a piano teacher and everybody played an instrument. Dad, dad wasn't a professional musician, but he played and, you know, we sang and there was constantly music. And so we all, um, you know, grew up with that, grew up playing and I, and I performed quite young in, you know, musicals and things like that. So it was something. And then I started writing songs relatively you know, around age 10 or 11, playing guitar and, and then performing and all through high school and, and that kind of thing. And then, um, uh, and then was discouraged from doing it as a, like I said, as a, as a occupation by my dad and, you know, probably people generally just said it wasn't practical. And so letting go of that, um, I, I think also I probably had a sense that uh, especially, um, I don't know that I, I really believed in myself that I would have been able to kind of take it to the next level. I, I know with the violin, I played violin as a kid 
And I never seemed to get past second violin, you know, in the orchestra. And my my teacher's kids were like these prodigies and stuff. And so it was pretty hard to feel special, you know, in terms of the violin. And, and so I don't know if some of that maybe carried over to the to the performing and stuff like that. But I, I think, you know, it's hard to say if, if I might have done well or, or not. But it's a very competitive uh, uh, it was a real star mentality in those days because I'm I'm 62, so that, that was in the uh, 60s, and and that whole thing it was you know you couldn't open, just go out and put out your own albums like you can now. So, but anyway, it was for me it was just something that I always did and always honored, and I think I didn't really know how to write songs. I would sort of I'd get lucky, and you know one would come out all through high school I wrote a lot of songs but you know they were all melodramatic and and stuff but but um but anyway I did have a, I did have a gift for melody that's always been my strength I think and and uh I wouldn't write a lot but I would write them you know I'd write songs and people would you know always and always had lots of a certain core group of friends and they were big fans and believed in me and you know would always tell me I should do you know, go places with all this stuff. And, and, um, so it was just something that I kept coming back to. And eventually about, uh, well, the, the turning point really for me in terms of making a career move that was after I read Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, mm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. That is an amazing book. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was a real, a real life changing for me when I was doing the morning pages regularly. And when I was, you know, um, where I really got in my own team. And even before that, the turning point was really a friend of mine who was into Amway. And if you remember Amway, one of those multi-level, <laughs> yeah. early multi-level things, and they were all about goal setting and following your dreams and all that stuff. And he sat me down and said, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And, you know, the truth, he made me tell him the truth. And that was, you know, I wanted to release an album. Uh, that was my dream. And uh, it took nine years from that conversation. But you know, finally it happened. And then that was, just, that wasn't, that was just the beginning of the challenges in terms of being on my own team and believing in myself. If anything, it was, I talk about that in my keynote about how the night I launched that album, uh, you know, we sold out two nights at the White Rock Playhouse. I had a seven piece backing band. It was a huge success. And all night long, this voice is in my head going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think you are? You know, criticizing me, putting me down. I'd say something and the voice would, you know, that was stupid, you know. It was like, it got so loud. The inner critic got so loud because I had never been so vulnerable, right? Even though I'd achieved this goal that had been a lifetime goal, I couldn't even enjoy it. That's so interesting because I just released my first book and this has been a lifelong dream for me to finally claim the the moniker author, and now I can. And for the last month, I have had the same inner critic just rear her ugly head inside of me. And she actually took me out there for a little while. And I, I was, I was almost paralyzed by her. And I thought, really, Do you, seriously, after all the work I've done <laughs> on myself, mm -hmm. you have to come back now at this really, really critical time in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's been an interesting navigating all of that internal judgment mm -hmm. and the support that I'm getting outside of myself is unbelievable. It's, it brings me to, 
it literally brings me to tears, the support that I'm getting for this book, because I feel like, like music probably for you, how it just moves through you. This book just moved through me and I felt like Mm. it was more a product of my soul than, than my intellect. And yet, uh, this, this nasty, uh, wounded child inside of my head who's fearful of rejection even though it's not happened and what actually you know when I've been doing a lot of backtracking in my life you know there I really haven't had a lot of rejection in my life at all Mm. but where the the little bits that have happened she kind of hangs on to and she just tosses at me so I totally get that inner critic thing and it's yeah it's brutal it's brutal Mm -hmm. so (laughs) how do you navigate that inner critic yeah, well, that's interesting. But when I put out my f- first album, and that was in 1992, um, I couldn't, for the first year after it was out, I couldn't listen to it without just like picking it apart mm. and noticing I should have done that. And that's, you know, this whole very critical kinds of kind of thing. It was really quite bizarre how, you, you know, you talk about those little things that you make so huge. And I think that's that's the mistake, that the thing that we all fall for is, you know, it'll be the the one person in the crowd that was yawning, you know, or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or the one person that didn't, you know, and I, and I mean, I think people have a tendency to do that <clears throat> anyway. You know, we have a tendency to, you know, to look for like, oh, I've just been snubbed, you know, is that, and... You know, we it, it's just a human thing. You know, I don't think we can really hold it against ourselves. But with for sure with creativity and with that inner critic, because its job is to, you know, it's, it's all about just keeping us safe, which is all about staying small. Mm-hmm. So I think that you do, after a while, learn to just let it go. It's kind of, it's been done and, or, you know, it's done now and I'm not going to worry about it kind of thing. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that you cringe at, but I don't cringe at nearly as much stuff as I used to. I find that the more, tell me if this resonates with you, but the more I say yes to the calling that wants to move through me, the more my comfort zone expands. And every time the comfort comfort zone expands, I find that I run up against that same inner critic roadblock once again. Mm-hmm. And then I move through that and it's like, oh, well, that wasn't so hard after all. And then the next call for expansion comes and there she is again. And so mm-hmm. it seems like I find that for myself, I've noticed that there's a stronger inner resilience that comes every time I, I'm able to maneuver my way past that inner critic. But it doesn't mean that she ever goes away. But yeah, yeah it's, it's just that the resilience seems to be and the awareness there's a conscious awareness that comes to it's like okay there she is again and I should know she's just like it's, it almost sounds crazy like how many people am I talking about and it's really just me but there's so many in my head mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's an interesting um, phenomenon that we all go through well and like to me I don't I haven't found that it goes away even though I agree that you know you you have a bit more awareness and stuff but I think when you, when you said that we move through I think that's that's the trick for me. As soon as I start to take action and as soon as I actually start to write, it's, it's when I think, Oh, you know, I should write a song or I should do something like that. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, no, you've written, Oh, you don't have anything left to say, or that's, that's boring. <laughs> or, you know, when you're kind of lost, but as soon as you start to get into it, then all of a sudden your focus goes onto the work. As soon as you start doing the work, 
right? Then we get caught up in the work and we get excited. And it's like, oh, that's, I like that. That's a nice riff. You know, I like that melody. Oh, I like that word. And, and, and that's the gift is it's in action, right? And that's all of the books on creativity will tell you that it's, you know, one foot in front of the other. And, and that's so easy to forget. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it seems like a, yeah. yeah, it's an ongoing practice. Every single project seems, mm-hmm. or every single, ins- yeah, ins- inspiration, every single yeah. yeah hit of inspiration. It just seems like, oh, here we go through this whole process again. But then you're right. Like once the flow, like once you say yes and you start taking action, the flow starts to really come. And then I find that for me, the next roadblock is, releasing it to the world that is that's a big hurdle for me and it brings up brings it up again yeah and even before that i think there is you know they call it the curse of the second verse in songwriting because you know you got to get you have to keep going right because it's most of the, i'm sure if you're writing a book you're not doing it all in one sitting and so you know you get the first bit and then and then, you know, you have to fight that demon. Uh, I was just reading, have you read Bird by Bird? No. By, um, what's her name? Anne Lamott. She's fantastic. Oh, she's fantastic. She's so funny. And, um, uh, and you know, she's just so honest and frank about all of these sort of diversions that we do to, you know, we're supposed to write and all of a sudden it's, you know, time to go and get the ice cream out of the freezer and, you know, <laughs> whatever, right? The all these things. I mean, she's just hilarious. <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, or, you know, the Jack Daniels or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so to me, you know, it's, it's a long time. So those are all the hurdles that, you know, you're constantly coming up against in the end. It, a lot of people will write, song, will have a lot of half written songs and they'll never finish them. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, and ultimately it's because you just abandon the song and then you go some. You think, oh, well, that's not good. And you give up, and and it's, so then it's tempting to do that, and then just start another song. Whereas, um, if you could just will make yourself come back to that song, and and finish it, I just I, I feel like finishing is such an important piece, you know. And late in the last, I've gone through kind of a a bit of a dry-ish spell around songwriting in the last couple of years, partly because I've been a year or so, because I've, I've been doing, writing the keynote and kind of changing, reinventing myself a little bit. But um, partly, I think it was also because I had some songs that stumped me that I didn't, uh, I just didn't know what to do as I couldn't finish them. And um, and usually I, I wrestle, I wrestle them to the ground. I'm not a guy that, that uh, writes lots and lots of songs and, you know, throws most of them away. I'm a guy that sort of writes every song until I think it's, I'm happy with it, until it's getting the response. You know, to me, the, the test is, you know, first, if it, if it moves me, but also if, if I play it for an audience and, you know, nobody's kind of, they're sort of saying, oh, it's a great idea, but it didn't really grab me. It's like, well, I wonder why. And then you go back and you say, oh, yeah, well, that melody doesn't even, you know, it's got a range of four notes or it's, this word's really weak or, you know, you, I mean, you just fix the broken stuff until you love everything in it. Right. And so that's the way I like to work. Um, you still end up with certain ones that are going to rise to the top, but, but anyway, when the, in my case, because these songs 
wrestled me to the ground, um, that really, you start, you feel defeated, right? And so then you, you know, you gotta, and now I'm kind of coming back to some of these and finishing them and just saying, well, okay, let's wrestle it to the ground because I like it. I don't want to abandon this song, you know? It seems like there's a, uh, a continuity with the creative process because I can relate to everything that you're talking about with my writing process as well. There's, you know, I get inspiration for, it's it's so nonlinear. I get an inspiration for one book and then all of a sudden there's an inspiration for another book and I have to carry around a little hand, I don't have an iPhone, and I, but I have a little handheld recorder. And so mm. I'm constantly, whenever I get hits of inspiration, I'm constantly muttering away in my, my little recorder because the, the inspiration is so fleeting. It comes so fast and I have to mm-hmm. capture it in that moment. And then when I when I get usually about an hour's worth of these babbles, these these inspired babbles, then I just sit and I I transcribe them and they're all over the place. Because it's like it just mm-hmm. and then so I've got right now But at now, least you do that. At least, you know, if you don't leave them sitting on your recorder, right? Because that's you know, you gotta then you got to transcribe it and then you got to, you know, you got to keep on taking those pieces and developing them and exactly. and not abandoning them. Right. And I think that's, you know, that's the kind of mundane stuff, but it's also, it's, it's, you know, it's nice work, right? It is. It is like right now. I mean, I just released one book, got that one to the finish line. I've got another one that's coming up. I thought I'd be able to finish it this month, but I'm looking more now realistically towards April. I think that's, that's realistic. I get really excited about being able to do things a lot quicker than I can, but you know, life, right? So mm-hmm. April is looking pretty good, but I've got about six other books that are partially written too. And now I don't know if it's the same thing with songwriting, but uh, some of the books I'm looking at and I think, oh, you know, they might be, it might be more powerful if I, if I amalgamate the content for, uh, for two books and turn it into one. And it's, it's an, yeah, the creative process is really, really interesting. It's, um, it's, like I said, it's so nonlinear, but then there's, um, like you said, it's an, it's, we have to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book by Stephen Pressfield, War of Art. Have you heard of no. that one? No. There's a must read for you. So, okay. so I'll I got it down. <laughs> the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He speaks a lot about the creative process and the resistance that comes up. So he calls it, he calls the inner critic resistance and the resistance that comes up that distracts us from, from finishing, um, you know, so why so many people have so many half written books, half written songs, and they never take to the finish line because of this resistance, powerful book, Mm -hmm. really, I've read that one probably three or four times right now. And just speaking about it is inspiring me to want to read it again, get myself (laughs) to the next one. Um, You know what, I want to read you something that... I, I just wrote the other day, I got a, I used to sketch, um, you know, quite a bit and my wife and my daughter gave me this little sketch pad for, for, um, Christmas or something. And, uh, so I've been doing these, these little drawings and they're, you know, not too, not too fancy, just whatever, oh, hey, you Oh, that's awesome. Thank the you. Listeners um, won't be able to salt, see it, but that's, salt that's pepper talented. Shaker, you know, there's like a menu holder at uh, straight coffee. And um, here's a restaurant I was in in Cash Creek recently. And I think here's an airport in Minneapolis. I was just in there. You oh, go. that's amazing. Yeah, I think. Well, the, the plane wasn't short 
wasn't short and stumpy anyway. So I wrote after I did this one, this plane. I mean, it takes me so much courage because to just to do a little sketch, right? It's ridiculous. Well, and you don't have a lot of real estate on those pages. So that's why it's probably a short, stumpy airplane. But I can tell it's an airplane. It's well done. So, you know, I like it. It's, you know, it's, I mean, you end up loving it, right? Because it's just like, it's not perfect. But anyway, this is what I wrote. It says, there, I did it. Another imperfect drawing that did not kill me or re or reveal me to be less to be less than. If anything, I showed courage, undaunted by the empty page, my lack of experience and skill. Small victories can feel just as good as larger ones and may even be the rocks that paved the way. Mm. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that it was such a big deal, you know, to be but it's it's when you talk about building resilience, it's after a while, you know, you do, you don't even think about this stuff you, where it used to be. My wife started painting in the last six or seven years and, and she, I got her started drawing and I said, you know, what are you afraid of? It's no big deal. But, you know, I ended up stopping and becoming intimidated, especially because she ended up getting so good, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't do this, you know, and it's like, no, I want, I'm taking it back. And there is a sense of taking ourselves back, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think when we, yeah, I think it's a natural human tendency, again, coming back to our cultural conditioning to, to compare ourselves to others. And that's a really mm -hmm. powerful way that that inner yeah. critic can, you know, can put the brakes on really quickly. It's like, well, yeah. you're not as good as so-and-so, so why bother? And I think that that's, that's a huge one for a lot of people. I know that I even battle with that, not as much now, mainly because I'm so aware, but that doesn't mean that it's gone. I don't think the inner critic ever leaves. It's just learning how to navigate him or her and move through, you know, the continual in internal chatter. Mm -hmm. But you brought up a, a word that I'm a word that means a lot to me, courage. Right. And I'm curious to know what that word means for you. Because it seems like you're, you know, you are a person who is aware of all of the nasty internal chatter, but you keep doing it anyway. So what does courage mean for you? Well, I guess, uh, well, it's interesting, right? Because Julia Cameron talks about how, you know, it's from the French word core for heart, right? And so it is about following your heart for sure and and which is your most vulnerable place right and so um so it yeah to me i think it's really just about any fear that you have i mean in that case you know it was funny to read that poem to my wife because she's not at all afraid of making a doing a sketch in a notebook Right. So, you know, somebody could blow it off and say, well, that's ridiculous. Why would you need courage to do that? And so, you know, whatever you're afraid of, it, we're all, we're just at whatever stage we're at with whatever things are. So really, to me, it's just about overcoming, you know, about going through the fear, right? And I would have to say that, uh, that most of that fear is self-created. Like it's, it's yes. not, it's not really based on anything real. It's yeah. Nobody cares. <laughs> right. Usually. Yeah. Yeah. Most people are too worried about what other people are thinking of them to be able to, you know, to share yeah. any concerns about you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, or, and they don't judge you as, as harshly as you judge yourself. And yeah, it's that whole, 
you know, it's that whole kind of loss of perspective. I always think of suicide as being the ultimate loss of perspective. You know, when when you really have so little, you know, you make some little things so big that you would give up everything, mm -hmm. you know, over, you know, whatever thing that hasn't worked out, your job or your relationship or, you know, those kinds of things. And, and you make those things so big that you, you forget about all the people that love you and, you know, all of the gifts that you have, you know. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, you know, this is, you know, obviously nothing like that, but it's a smaller version of just making the wrong things big. You mm -hmm. know, it, it, people talk about gratitude journaling as being a really great antidote to to that, to, to you know, just thinking about, wow, this is, what am I grateful for? I'm like, I'm grateful and I'm on this side of the, the dirt, you know. <laughs> I know I've got this one friend who just like, he come, he wakes up, we were camping this summer doing something, and, you know, I, I kind of, it's dreary and it's raining and, and, and you know, miserable and I'm, I haven't had coffee yet and, you know, blah, blah. And I'm just kind of moping around and he comes out of his, he had a trailer and he comes popping out the door ready to go for a run in the rain with his dog. And it's like, what is your problem? He said, as long as I, I said, how, how come you're so happy all the time? And he said, as long as I figure if, as long as I'm on this side of the dirt, <laughs> it's a great day, you know, and it's like, it's, it, it's inspiring, you know, when you see people like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and gratitude can do that for you. Absolutely. I'm thinking I should play a song. Let's do it. Okay. I have, this song isn't really related to anything, but it's just a song that I've been really enjoying playing lately. And I haven't recorded it yet. I'm hoping to record it soon. And you're feeling the impulse to play, so let's do it. That's what this show's about. Okay. This is a song about, about a busker. A busker is a guy who plays music in the street. Street musician. And a woman who falls for this guy, which is an unlikely scenario, because she's a kind of a princess and um, hard to please kind of woman. And I just wrote it because, just to make up a story, because I had this melody that I was wanting to do something with and I'd been uh, humming and hawing forever because I thought it was such a nice melody that I had to have the perfect lyric for it. And, uh, and so one day I just said, just write the fucking song. <laughs> so I just made up a, made up this story. So this, just, some, this is a spontaneous story? This just came to yeah, you? Uh, yeah, I just made it up. I do that sometimes. And uh, I mean, they always have a little pieces of your own life and your truth and other people's stories, right? Um, but yeah, I have, I have a few songs that are like that. And um, anyway, then I was playing it somewhere and this person in the audience said, I know somebody that that is their story. This, this couple, he's a busker and she's a professor. And every day she goes off and professes and he goes off and busks. <laughs> and they've been very happy for years. And this is the beauty of this one. I had this built in 1985 by a guy named Bob Holroyd and it was his last guitar. He had a heart attack about a month after it was done, and 
So I feel really blessed to have this. It's a fantastic guitar. Then she'd pass him on the street, standing there for all to hear, singing out so clear. He'd sing, baby, it's you, baby, it's me, what if it's true, love is all that we need, cause baby, it's us, maybe that's enough. He had those eyes that wouldn't quit Look so deep and drink you in One day she kind of dropped her guard And as he danced into her heart She confided to her friends I'll only stay with him a while He'd sing, baby, it's you Baby, it's me What if it's true Love is all that you need Baby Maybe that's enough The best laid plans won't ever be Any more than that Why would you spend your life Chasing after things That you've already got Baby, it's you, baby, it's me What if it's true, love is all that we need Baby, it's us, maybe that's enough Oh, cause baby, it's us, maybe that's enough That is so beautiful. Thank I have you. goosebumps all over my yeah. arms. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that spontaneous concert. And I guess everybody's oh, yeah. heard it here first before you yeah. even record it. Yeah. No, I love that song. Thank you. Yeah, that is a really... beautiful song. And I, in your voice, oh my gosh, you just like, it gets right into my, gets, I can feel it in my, right in my heart. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for saying yes to yourself, to the musician within. <laughs> and you yeah. know it's it's interesting hearing you speak because you and I had a, a very similar parental roadblock about you know it's just not a way to make a living but you know 
I mean, that we know that it, that's not true. It's just something that we bought into when we were young and we didn't know better. Mm-hmm. So the question I think for a lot of people is, can we make a living while we're making a life? Because, you know, making a life is honoring what needs to move through us. The music that needs to move through, the writing that needs to move through me, the painting that needs to move through others and whatever it happens to be. So, you know, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on navigating and weaving together, making a living with making a life. Well, I, you know, I am, but, and I've, you know, I've worked pretty hard to, you know, find ways to do that and had to be quite creative about doing it and would sort of, and I'll sort of talk about that in a second, but what I would, I heard an interview the other day with Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote um, Eat, Pray, Love. And she was talking about how um, she ne- she made a deal with her muse that she would never require it to support her. And so, you know, we we sort of equate success with where, whether or not, you know, we have a day job. And yet some of the greatest authors, like, what's her name, P.D. James, you know, she wrote for... She wrote every morning before she went to her office job. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert supported herself as a waitress in different jobs while she wrote so that she could write the novel that she wanted to. And, you know, and to me, what's happened for me with a lot of my work, although it has taken me into some really interesting places that I would never have gone on my own, um, you know, doing kids shows, doing song, leading songwriting workshops with uh, as a team building, like with nonprofits and corporate work, and then and ultimately into the keynote speaking. Um, these are all journeys that I I wouldn't necessarily have taken, uh, except you know to make money. Quite frankly, and and they've led me to discover gifts that I had and. Um, and to develop my gifts, you know, like when I started doing kids shows, my God, I was like so, you know, stiff and self-absorbed. And, you know, you get out in front of 500 kids and you got to, you know, they're not going to listen to meaningful songs, you know. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I had to grow. I, I had to grow and fast. There wasn't, you know, I talk about it in my keynote how, you know, I developed this songwriting program called From the Page to the Stage in one day where I wrote a song in the morning with the kids and then after lunch I would do a concert so that the kids would have a chance to perform their song at my, you know, for the rest of the school. And I was terrible. Like, I didn't have a show. And so I had to, and then, but I, but... 85 schools booked the program, you know, <laughs> and so all of a sudden I had to develop this show, right? Well, I'm curious to know more about that, that kids program from the page to the stage, like how, now you said that, you know, you said quite frankly, it's to make money, but how did it come about that you, you decided that you were going to work with kids? And, uh-huh. and I'm also curious, since you've been doing this program, what are you noticing about kids? Are you are you noticing that they're more inclined to embrace the creative muse within themselves so that before it's conditioned out of them? Um, yeah, I think so. Kids are, you know, kids are definitely more, they're a little looser and more, um, uh, yeah, way, way more. But they're also equally inhibited, especially in a, you know, a group setting like that where they're going to be pretty intimidated or they can be. Um, by each other and, you know, think whatever. So it doesn't, I mean, even at elementary school, 
I think uh, by grade, you know, by grade four, a lot of the kids are pretty feeling pretty self-conscious about stuff. You know, that, if you get kindergartens. Eh? Oh yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you'll get a few kids that'll, you know, they won't shut up, and some kids that you just have to coax like crazy to get stuff out of them. And um, with if I don't work very much with like kindergartens and stuff, but like kindergarten's not a problem. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not going to have any too much. Um, sort of self-censorship at that age. So are you noticing that kids are opening up though? Like when you, when you do your program, do they open up and do you feel like they can sustain that? I mean, it's hard when they go back into their, you know, into their tight, stiff parents and then this tight, stiff culture that just wants to silence us. It's, it's hard to maintain that. It's like we need. Well, no, I mean, but all parents aren't like that. And, you know, in fairness to mine, you know, my dad said that to me as a practical kind of a thing, but he supported me more than anybody, you know, through my entire life. He, he, he once I decided to do it, he, he was nothing but there, you know. Mm. And I think lots of kids have really supportive parents. I think, you know, part of the information that I, one of the reasons I like doing the songwriting workshops with the kids is because I want them, because it takes them through a, through a creative process, which is not about the first thing you do being perfect. It's about, you know, making a start and coaxing ideas and what, you know, what word could we use and then coming up with a better word five minutes later and replacing that one and and trying different things and coming up against blocks and feeling stuck and saying, shall we just quit? You know, things are not going well. Um, and then saying, actually, you know, it's really good if you smile when you say things are not going well because it makes you more creative. So then we have fun, you know, having it be, oh, I'm depressed. Things are not going well. <laughs> And, um, so I wish I'd known that stuff when I was that age, because I, you know, that's why I was so blocked and took me so long to become more prolific because I thought that if I didn't come up with something good right away, then I just didn't have any talent. Hmm. Right. And so to me, that's one of the, the gifts of this program for the kids is to, to let them see what a creative process really looks like that it's really just trial and error and and decisions you know do you like it or don't you you know pick the word you like we're going to vote and and you know it doesn't matter what you write about you can write about you know the funky chicken or you can write about you know friendship or believing in yourself I mean it doesn't matter the song the process is always the same regardless of how stupid the theme is or how eloquent or worthy you know and I think that you bring up something that's really important is that the creative process is just, it's so unique. It's so nonlinear. It's so uh, messy, <laughs> really. I mean, when I, th- when I look about my own, look at my own creative process, it's, there's, there's a messiness to it, which is kind of fun now, now that I've actually gotten over my mm-hmm. perfectionist stuff. And, you know, my, my longtime career has been as a graphic designer and that's how I support myself still as I transition more into my author work. Um, but, uh, every time without fail, and I've been doing this for over 20 years now, when I get a a design project, usually the first couple of designs that I come up with are garbage. They're just like, Oh God, you know, and I have to walk away from it. And then I'll go like once the, the idea starts percolating in my head and I go for a walk in the rainforest with the dogs or by the beach or something, all of a sudden that's when it flows. But I think yeah. we need well, to... Well, walking is great. 
Yeah. Right? You know, the movement is so good. The movement. It's movement. It's the forward movement. It's so, you know, and Julia Cameron has a book called Walking in This World, too, if you, which is, you know, one of the sequels to The Artist's Way, which is, you know, it's fantastic. And walking is part of her, uh, you know, artistic rituals and routines to get stuff moving. I'd have to say that that's probably where I get most of my inspiration is when I'm out walking with the dogs. But yeah. I think that we need permission, like just so that people know, like when there's so many people who say, oh my God, I'm not creative, not creative. Well, I think that when we block ourselves with that language, of course, we're not going to be creative, but sure. everybody is creative. It's just giving yourself permission to be crappy in the beginning. I even look at my writing and it's always crappy in the beginning too. And then I, but then it's like, okay, I just give it, give it some breathing room and I start trying to intellectualize it. And then eventually it starts to flow. And you develop your skills. You and know, the skills. Exactly. I mean, I've had, um, you know, I've gone to lots of songwriting retreats and workshops and worked with some fantastic writers that have really, uh, you know, opened up all kinds of possibilities, you know, to me. Uh, I mean, I've had singing teachers that have just like, you know, people show you stuff and, and you know, it's not just you know, it's not just showing up, it's, it's learning and, and developing and it's sort of approaching it from, you know, um, your blocks by doing the work, but also maybe doing inner work and, you know, technical work. And, you know, you just keep coming at it from all angles and developing, you know, developing your, your, yourself in huge ways. So, you know, it really is like life's work, life work to me. But, you know, a great teacher can show you stuff, you know, I'm going, I'm having a singing lesson next week. I'm going to Nashville next week. And uh, there's this woman there named Renee Grant Williams, who's this amazing vocal coach. And she teaches Lyle Lovett and you know, um, Miley Cyrus and Keith Urban and, you know, all kinds of Huey Lewis and Garth Brooks, all these people that have been her students. And I had a lesson with her about four years ago for like 45 minutes because she was at one of the, the retreats I was at and I just said you have to give me a private lesson because this is what she was teaching was so good and the stuff she showed me was so simple and so amazing that you know it wasn't hard to learn and and I've spent lots of money on singing lessons through my life and it's always like you know in two years you might get this but not with her it was um it was incredible and right away all of a sudden I, I noticed a difference in the audience response. People would become say, you know, what? Oh, I love that song. Annabelle, I haven't heard that one. It's like, I've been playing that song for five years. You've heard it lots of times. And it's, oh, I must've listened to it differently this time, <laughs> you know, because of her insights around, she's all about the consonants. So it's, you know, felt, you said, you get that love, love. Love and it's what oh, Frank Sinatra see, does. Even, even just the way oh. you say that, just like get the yeah. goosebumps happening. That's yeah. That. Uh -huh. And so I wouldn't have known that before. I wouldn't have done that, right? And so that all the emotion and all the meaning is like you can whisper. It's the consonants that come through, right? So if you want to say something, you don't yell it louder with a bigger, you know. And but most of my singing teachers were all you, you, you know. It's all vowels, right? <laughs> which has value but that's so interesting it's really interesting wow wow yeah. so okay so you've been working with kids and now you also work with you said you do corporate workshops so yeah what what's it like working with adults can you get them to do the the consonant stuff or are they all 
Uh, well, we do. I mean, I'll, I'm not doing that with them. I'm writing a theme song for them. Usually, I just did one with a, a bunch of therapists, clinical counseling practice that this guy has in Chicago. And uh, he wanted to do like something to bring everybody together and um, get them on the same page, so to speak. You know, so we wrote a song about their work and what they do. And it was called um, Holding Hope. So holding hope, because that's what they do as therapists for people. They hold hope. They hold this vision of possibility for people to come through. And, you know, and so it was, you know, it's just the theme songs are always about something that honors the work that they do. I have done five hospices where we've written theme songs that are have titles like open hearts and caring hands. And, and so it becomes a theme song for the work that they do. And they and they articulate and and decide what it's going to say and how so that when people hear and they use the songs like on their website as a as a kind of to add emotional impact to say a slideshow or a video or something like that so people really have a, a much more of a heart sense of what they're about and, and sometimes they're really like there's a really fun one called teach my person how to love me which is a uh, for an animal welfare group up north and teach my person how to love me. Aww. And it's being used on four continents uh, by dog wel animal welfare groups. They just made it available free. to you know, Oh, that's beautiful. It. Yeah, it's a great song. Yeah, yeah, there's so much power in music. Yeah. And, and I know that, um, you know, my partner said that your, your motivational talk, we combined it with music and she said it just made it so much more powerful. The emotions went even deeper. So mm -hmm. I have I, one more big question to, to finish with. And then I'm hoping that you'll kind of slide us out with another song. Is that, sure. is that okay? Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, you're doing some really beautiful work. You've said yes to yourself. You've, you've said yes to your muse and your muse is going out there now with kids and with adults in corporate settings and you're doing these motivational talks with with your music and I'm just curious to know what it is that you're you ultimately hope to be sharing with the world um well just the same thing that I've been doing all along you know which is um just to, to I think like what I love so much about the keynote speech is that I mean, I love that it combines the music and that it becomes that, but it's it's so satisfying to be to to see the transformation that occurs in the audience, and you can just look at people's faces. And your partner De um, Deb was like, she was amazing; like she was just smiling. Oh, she was so moved. all the way yeah. through. You know, she's fantastic, right? And uh, when you get people like that in the audience, it's it's awesome. But a lot of times they aren't like that. They come in and they're very guarded and. Um, and so, and as, uh, as this, as I tell my stories and I share the songs and stuff, you can just see how people are just transformed. You know, they go into their, they become so much softer and more heartful and more real. And, uh, you know, it's just like, and all I'm doing is just telling them my, I'm just showing them myself, but I'm showing myself in a much, um, I'm showing more of myself than I ever have, you know, like I love doing concerts. It's really fun. And I tell stories and I've got some pretty, you know, songs that will definitely, you know, uh, get people feeling stuff, you know. Um, but um, 
and you know you want it to laugh it's you know it's not meant to be morose right it's a balance but and i love that but i do but so this to me is like that's what the really new territory for me is the level of depth on which i can connect with people and reach them and 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 so i want to keep doing that i want to keep writing songs that that i love to sing you know that feel great and and that inspire people and that will you know connect people to themselves and their own stories and you know that kind of stuff so it's really just i just want to do more of this and reach more people and and just keep getting better you know there's nothing more satisfying than knowing that you've made a connection with your work eh like with what with with your calling yeah You're making a connection with others with your calling yeah i get it totally yeah, yeah. and getting paid <laughs> Lots to be said for that. Yes, yes, yes. You know, for I'm still, I'm, I'm holding out for the world. No, I'm not holding out. I'm, I'm actively co-creating the world where we don't have to worry about that. Where we can just share our gifts and be. Well, and it, you it, know, it's still I, possible. Well, the thing is that you know, I find as a creative person is that you know, you tend to you don't need a lot of money. You know, mm, you, because true. creativity takes you're way less needy in terms of you know going shopping is not real high on my list of things to do you know or and having more stuff and you know sort of impressing people with you know my vehicle or something you know i mean i suppose it'd be nice to have a better car than what i drive but it wouldn't be to impress people necessarily you know i mean or it wouldn't the creativity fills so many needs and and you know the, with the, the, that's i think why so many creative people are content to really live relatively modest lives because, you know, it fills you up, right? Yes, so powerful. It's yeah. so internally fulfilling. I know yeah. it, mm -hmm. people are always surprised when they come and they see how simple we live here in our house. And it's like, don't you miss having this and this? It's like, we don't even think about it. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we're both we're both such active creators in this house. And it's, yeah, I, I really, really am so grateful that you said that because it's, it's just so important so that people yeah. know that that creativity really does fill the inner well yeah well i, looked, I watched donald trump the other night oh, God. <laughs> i mean it's he's just ridiculous he's got, he's got these two like stunningly gorgeous women one on either side and they just kind of smile like like they're made of plastic or something and they're you know a quarter of his age and here he's this buffoon, you know, that's saying the most ridiculous things, just like like he thinks that the world is a football game or, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to whoop him. You know, we're going to whoop him. ISIS, you know, we'll just whoop him, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he's all about money and and all of that kind of stuff in just the most, you know, there's just nothing very fulfilling about about him. There's nothing inspiring about him. You know, he's all about blame and and you know status and power, and he has no substance and no brain. And the shocking thing is that more than Donald Trump, what shocks me is how many Americans are supporting him. That oh, is more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I'm on this side of the border. Oh. On the coast with you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> who knows how long the border will be there. Yeah. 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 So, right. a song. 
Okay, well, this is a song I wrote with my friend John Cowell, and um, it was inspired by uh, something that my wife's high school teacher said to her, and he, um, she told him, she told Mr. Erasmus, and back in high school, she said, I, I want I want to go in to study medicine, but I don't know if I can do it. And he said, Shannon, if you can't do it, who can? And so, um, you know, and that inspired her whole, her whole life. And she never forgot that. And I was telling John about it. And John was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago. And um, we had, he lived in Victoria and I lived on the Sunshine Coast. So we had... Uh, and we'd written a few songs together, but not for a while. And so I phoned him up and said, you know, we should, I knew he that things weren't good. And I said, you know, we need to write another song. And um, so we said, yeah, sure, we'll do it on Skype and stuff. And, and we didn't get to it. We didn't get to it. And then finally last December, I was, or a year ago, December, I was out in the middle of a tour and I just started having such an urgency. I just phoned him up and we spent about an hour or spent an evening, a couple hours on Skype. And, and, you know, I told him about what Shannon's high school teacher had said, and we decided that was the song we wanted to write. And, um, because he just loved that. And, um, so we wrote most of it that night. And then, uh, the plan was to finish it. I was going up into the, um, Chilcotin where there wasn't any cell service and stuff like that. So we were going to finish it the following week when I got back in and instead there was a message from his wife saying that he, he was gone. And so... I finished the song on my own and I sang it as his celebration of life. And um, so it has special meaning for me because of that. Here we go. <laughs> Let's hope you <laughs> Yeah, we'll make it this time. When you step into the spotlight, Open up your heart Even if you tremble For a moment Don't quit Before you start Cause you don't want to miss This you can't lose I believe in you If it isn't you Who else could do this All alone if it isn't you, then who? Oh, then who? You could walk away, and I won't blame you. Play it safe, play it small. Maybe you can rise to this occasion. Like you own it, for all the world to 
Two and a half years of doing this podcast, that was the best ending ever. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Thank you, Lowry. I am so grateful that we finally connected and that you said yes to this and and that you shared your music with us too. This is great. Oh, thanks. It was fun. It's always nice to be able to play too. So that's great. Yeah. Oh, and thanks everybody for listening. I hope uh, I hope we've said some things that lift people up a little bit. And... Well, I'm lifted, and I think I'm a pretty good indicator. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm lifted too. It's always good. It's great. I appreciate that, and it's great to connect with you. And it looks like you're doing wonderful things with this podcast and with your life. So, yeah, thanks, Deb. Well, there you have it. The wisdom and the musical genius of Lowry Olofsson. And you can connect with Lowry on his website at lowryolofsson.com where you can get his music. You can learn about his keynote presentations, his theme shops, and his concerts. And alternatively, you can also find his contact information along with a number of the books and other pertinent topics that we spoke about today in the show notes on my website at debozarco.com backslash 97. And I'm going to be putting it out there yet again, because contrary to the prevailing mindset of mm, self-centeredness in our culture, I believe that in our essence, we want to support each other. And this podcast was all about creative expression and living simply. However, we all need to feel supported. And so I would be absolutely honored if you would consider supporting my work with the ongoing creation of this paradigm altering podcast at patreon.com backslash unplug podcast for less than the cost of a cup of coffee or a fancy overpriced Starbucks drink. You can help me continue bringing powerful, life-altering, expansive, and paradigm-shifting conversations into the world and into your ears and into your heart and mind. Your support on Patreon means so much to me, and it shows just a, you know, it's a simple act of appreciation. And that support on your part means, well, it means so much to me. And it also helps to fuel and fan the flame for this important message. Now, also, if Patreon doesn't call to you, then you can support my work by buying a copy of my five-star rated book, Unplug, on Amazon, Kobo, or on iBooks. And you can get one for yourself, and you can get them for your friends and your family, and you can gift them. They've been really, they've been transforming, these. this book has been transforming lives. And I am, 
I'm feeling humbled and honored by this message that moved through me because I've, I've said it before. I feel like I'm the conduit for this message. So I'm grateful that it is creating so much transformation already. And I'm also really thrilled to announce that in just over a month, the book has quietly crept up into the top 200 in transformational books at Amazon. And I have to say that I'm actually quite surprised by this because of the thousands and thousands and thousands of books out there vying for readers' attention. Now, I don't look at my Amazon account very much um, because I don't want to be attached to my work. I want to I want to let this book breathe breathe on her own. I want her to have her own life without smothering her with the typical promotion that is so common in the uh, in the book release industry or in the book creation industry. And I feel like like unplug the book is grateful for this and now she's willingly on her own opening the hearts and minds of the masses. So when I saw that she is is leaping up into some of the top spots in Amazon, I was like kind of blown away. Yeah, I'm still blown away because I actually just checked before I recorded this. So yeah, it's it's pretty exciting and, and humbling and what an honor. And if you already have the book and you feel so inclined to take your support further, you can also buy a t-shirt, a meditation, or a wellness plan from my website. There are so many ways that you can support this work and also live, live the message of compassion and reciprocity and creativity that you hear every couple of weeks on this podcast. And lastly, I'd be really grateful for your rating and review of this podcast on iTunes. This helps fan the flame for this message so that others can hear it because we don't want to keep this contained. We want to spread the word. And you can find an easy step-by-step guide to walk you through the process on my website at debozarco.com backslash podcast review. And if you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes, please do so. And again, spread the word, fan the flame, let everybody know about the Unplugged podcast and, uh, and let's co-create the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. And also, if you want more great resources, you can head on over to devilsarco.com and sign up for my monthly email updates. And uh, I will share with you the blog posts and other offers that I only send out to those in my email community. And that's it. That wraps up another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.